but we are in Luke 11, and we are, we are in a very difficult part of Luke. Uh, Luke goes dark here. Um, I guess it's more accurate to say he chooses to, um, to highlight a portion of Jesus' teaching that sounds very dark to us. And I, I think it's worthwhile to examine the why of this before we even get into it. Luke 11. Um, we, we tend to cartoon characters, not just out of the scripture, but with each other. Um, you know, we can, we can say all these people are good, all these people are bad. All this person says is we, we, we really cartoon people. Uh, and it's very easy to do that. And in scripture, we really do it. And I, I don't want to be dark here, but I think one of the reasons why we cartoon Jesus and God and scriptural stories so much is because it's easy, it's bite-sized, and we have worship that's built around, um, around a sermon that lasts 20 to 40 minutes. We will be attentive during portions of this, and that's our, our main Bible study for the week. And I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but I hope that you understand what I mean. Um, back in the day, when Alexander Campbell was still about, and some of the people wanted to start a, uh, a Saturday Bible school or a Sunday Bible school for the kids. Alexander Campbell opposed it. He said, if you do this, eventually it will stop the practice of, fa of daily family church. I remember when I first read that and I went, daily family church? What, what is this? You know, what horrible thing could this possibly be? Well, it used to be among Bible-believing folk that they would spend time every day with, the, with their whole families studying and praying and singing. It was a part of their life. No wonder then, and Alexander Campbell used to get up. I, don't, I do not remember the hours. I believe it was something like 5.30 in the morning and would go out to this little octagonal hut. Looked like the old photo mat huts uh, in his front yard and he would study there for hours before breakfast well i think that we um we don't do that and therefore things such as nuance and shades of meaning those all pass us by and so we have produced a jesus to our uh, our world that is soft gentle um holding a baby lamb uh, very, very safe, and who basically agrees with anybody who wants to be nice. That's our Jesus. That's a very ineffectual Jesus. And as somebody from across the pond, well, I'm actually from here too, but you know what I mean. Um, religion died in Britain for a variety of reasons. There was class, there was war, there, th there were a lot of reasons why religion died. But whenever you would see a religious person on TV, a religious a vicar, um, a, a dean, one of the leaders of the churches there, they were always very soft-spoken, never giving offense, rather um, way too gentle for most men to say, hey, I'd like to grow up to be one of those guys. And it took everything out of Jesus except for niceness. And that's not an attractive Jesus. So as we read this, understand that there's going to be some darkness. 
But that darkness is inbuilt for a reason, because we are entire creatures. We have, um, I don't want to say that we have a dark side, because people will say that, you know, they, they try to make this a karmic balancing of the universe. No. God made us to be gentle and to be warriors. He made us to speak joy and to speak pain. Real people have all of these emotions. And Jesus is seeing the cross in his future. It is hurtling toward him. He has a limited amount of time. When you have a limited amount of time, you don't play about. Um, remember, there's a chat box at the bottom. If you click that, it shows off to the side. You can send a message to anybody in the room privately, uh, or you can send a question or the like to me if you have that. Back to this. Um, I used to run a counseling practice. I, I didn't love it, but it was required because there's nobody else to run it at that time. Um, I don't know. And sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, I have this issue. And if I, if I think that they're, they're bright and strong and ready and, you know, uh, they've got some steel in them, I might say to them, I cannot do this once, in, once a week, an hour a week for the next six to eight months. That is the most effective way to do this. If you really want to get fixed long-term, that would be the way to go. But I can't do that. If, you know, and I try to give them names. We've got counselors in our area that are brilliant. Really, really brilliant. I, I look up to them. But if they won't do that, I'll say, all right, I don't have time. So I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to find out about yourself in six to eight months. And I just, boom, and it's in the room. That has actually worked pretty well with some people. They've gone, really? And I'm going, yep. And that's where you'd get if you want the long way. But can you handle this? Can we work with it? If they can, great. I think Jesus is in that position. He doesn't have a couple of years more with these people. He's got to get this done. So he's at a dinner. Remember that in Luke 11? He's at a Pharisee's house for dinner. There is a, an issue with the poor. He says, you're ignoring the poor. Remember the poor were around the meal because that's, that's the way they did things back then. Um, this is recorded, so if you missed last Sunday, which many did for Mother's Day, you can go back and get the history behind why the poor are circling the car courtyard, what the rules are and such. But let's go to verse 42, because that's about where we left off. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Very powerful. We looked at that. Look at the next one. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. And that's when we talked about what that means is you are uh, talking to the Pharisees. Pharisees, you are making people unclean by their listening to you and they're, they're copying you. They're following you. You are discipling them in a way which will guarantee that they will be unclean. Now, that's a terrifying thing to say. But that's not the only time God says it. Remember, uh, Paul warns, let not many of you be teachers, for we will receive, teachers will receive the greater condemnation. 
if I'm wrong and, and I've been wrong so many times, I'm quite good at it. But if I'm wrong about something very serious, very fundamental, foundational, then I am in danger. But if I then push, 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 push this and gather a group, a group around me, I have now created issues for them. And that's why, um, as Rick Ashley told me, and I've quoted him many times, that um, we need to remember, we ministers and teachers and shepherds, that we have the only job that comes with a warning label written by God. Be very careful. So while you guys are, are invited along for this journey, this bet is written more to me. This is more of a warning to people like me. All right. So if that helps you get through the next bet, great. We have more people coming in. It's good to see you guys. And thank you for opening up your cameras because that does make it a bit easier. Uh, here we go. One of the experts in the law answered him. Okay, he's gotten under the skin. And this guy just comes up and he goes, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Well, that was, a, that was supposed to, get, to engender a response from Jesus as, oh, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to offend you. Um, we can work this out. Let's, let me rephrase this more gently. That's not what he got. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law. In other words, oh, I offended you too? Yeah, let's bring you into this. That was not a good day uh, to be a teacher, I, I don't think. Woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And we read that real quick, then had to get out last, um, last week. I didn't want to hold anybody up for Mother's Day. Uh, this, is, um, this is not the way we normally talk about Jesus. And in fact, I can tell you that if we spoke to somebody like this, there would be a long line of people to correct us and saying, you're not being very Jesus-y. Uh, you need to be a lot more Jesus-y than this. Now, here's the problem. Humans do this, right? So as soon as I say that, we think, well, then we can just insult and, and berate and pick out problems. No, move, move it back. Move it back some. There's a lot of room between these two. We speak the truth, and, I'll, and the way that Paul put it, speak the truth in love, I think we need to really absorb here. Um, I've had people speak what they said was truth to me in love that felt like a baseball bat to the side of the head. I love what Bernie Siegel said about this. Uh, those of you in the 80s might know his name. Uh, he was the top cancer surgeon in the U.S. He was worldwide authority, Bernie Siegel. Uh, he taught at Yale, Cornell Medical School. Um, he knew his stuff. In the last 15 years of his practice, he spent his time working with cancer patients who were terminal or who were thought to, um, to have lost all ability to live a full life and that they would never get better. He worked with both groups. And he wrote a mega bestseller in the 80s called Love, Medicine, and Miracles. It's still out there. It's still worthy. The science is a little old, but um, if anything, the promises and ideas he have, he had are even bigger now in science. And so love medicine and miracles. Um, I got to do 
Now, I, I said do, and I need to back out of that word. I helped with a seminar he did in Rhinebeck, New York, the first year I came back to the States, um, because my field uh, involved him um, and uh, Frank Lawless and Gene Octoberg and some others that were doing this seminar. Uh, and I was basically um, one of the, we call them blue shirts in the, in the law enforcement community, where you put on a blue shirt and that way if people have needs and questions, if they're having a crisis, they come to you. So I didn't do the seminar. I was at the seminar and helping. How's that? I was an elf. Um, and it was, it was amazing and a powerful time. And one thing Bernie said there really jolted me to the core. And I've, I've quoted him, I don't know how many times since. And that is truth without compassion is hostility. Think of that. Truth without compassion is hostility. Now, I was still in the far right COC of the day, um, although I was troubled because I, I was trying to come back to God. Uh, I, I was, it was like a bungee cord with me and God at this stage. Uh, I was really struggling. I, I didn't know you, there were nuances. I was going here to there and I can't handle it this way. And, and the idea that you could frame truth with compassion in a way that wouldn't hurt people, that was brand new to me. And I've, I've really spent, <laughs> since 1986 or 87, whatever this was, I'm still learning how to do this. Um, Jesus here goes at them because they need gone at. People are listening to them. I think that Jesus, if he were to come to your house, would speak to you more gently than he would if he came to my house. Because I, what I say impacts more people, I might need to be corrected a bit more bluntly. Um, I'll move on. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse here. Oh, I'm looking over here. Uh, church leaders get very defensive and sometimes angry when their practices are exposed as being contrary. Absolutely. I, I, I almost said I did. I do. I mean, I'm still not over that. If somebody comes up with me and says, and it's, I need to talk to you about something you guys said or did today. I don't go, oh boy, you know, let me get my patent tablet out. I can't wait. No, the, the defenses go up. Um, you just, you, know, you, you get ready for combat. It's a, I, th I think it's, it, that might be what Paul was talking about. I don't know. When he said he beat his body daily so that he would not be left behind. Um, I think Paul had a persistent sin issue. It seems to be in the way that he, he writes, but whatever it is, uh, if you're waiting for Christianity to become easy, it doesn't. It, it, it's still a discipline. And I often will flare up and then have to talk my way down. If you saw my Facebook post of a couple of days ago, it was a long one story about my mom. Very briefly, um, crown, she lost a crown during this quarantine. Dentists are closed in Alabama. Dentist opened this week. Well, she didn't have a dentist. So she just made a call to a dentist whose office was a block away from their um, assisted living facility. And he had a spot. So she's walking there, hits gravel, falls in the road. She gets, she's cut, uh, blood's all over, black eyes, bleeding nose, scrapes all over the face, uh, eventually gets stitches in her face. 
um, hands are bleeding, knees are bleeding, and she's laying there in the gravel by on, on the edges of a street and can't get up. She's 88. She can't get up. And again, this is a very long story. She shoves herself over eventually to where she can get on some grass, still can't get up. After a while, she's able to, to shove herself over toward a wall and pull herself up covered with blood. Being my mom, she doesn't give up here. She walks across the street to the dentist. The dentist uh, receptionist, who's also the wife, opens the door, is horrified. They immediately take amazing care of her. By the way, we found out later, um, almost two days later, the dentist is an elder in the Church of Christ in that area. Not the church my mom goes to, but a different one. And um, they took care of her. They got the stitches in her. They got an oral surgeon in, so she didn't have to go to the OR. Helped her back to change her clothes. I mean, brilliant. But I got angry because my mom said while she was laying there, she said she didn't understand why. But her words, bunches of cars went by and nobody stopped. They would even have to move around her. She goes, I don't understand that. Now, let me leap quickly to say, that is not the Alabama I know. Uh, when I'm around Alabama people, they are, they are very, very hospitable, helpful, quick to help. And in fact, um, if my car broke down, I'd kind of like for it to be in Alabama because a good old boy is going to come along and, and know what to do. This was an aberration. But guess what happened? For the first 20, 30 minutes, I was all the way over here. You know, and it was a diffused anger. I didn't have license plates. You know, just, ah, how could you do this? It was God that talked me off the ledge by saying, Patrick, you don't need a club. You need a mirror. You've walked by people too. You just didn't notice them. You're busy. That took, that, that took a lot of the steam out, um, frankly. I'm saying all that to say this. If you come to me with a helpful suggestion, a day or two later, I'll probably be a lot nicer in response. I'm really trying to shorten that time. We all struggle. Fair enough. And over here, um, you can't know the truth about someone if you don't love them. I would say that's true because you don't, because love requires you to listen. And without love, you don't listen. And there's no empathy. You know, sympathy is you feel sorry for somebody. Empathy is when you try to put yourself in their place and see through their eyes. Well, why, what's going on with the experts in the law? They're walking around judging others. You need to do more of that. You need to do more of that. You need to do more of this. Churches are, are famous for this, and so are our politicians and laws. We, we feel like we've got to add laws to have a meaning. Um, we find something good, and we want to make it mandatory. For example, how quick would this be? We could all agree that praying for 15 minutes a day would be a very good thing, and it would probably change our church if all of us committed to praying 15, time, uh, 15 minutes a day. Fair enough? Yeah. So now let's make it a law. And if you don't pray 15 minutes a day, you don't love Jesus. And that's how quick this goes. It really does. So we have to be very, very careful. He goes on, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your ancestors that killed them. Well, that was a little bit of historical truth that is usually passed over. Um, yeah, yeah, we are children of the prophets. Yeah, but your dads killed them. 
So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. It's, um, this is far more appropriate, um, no, no, applicable if you are a first century Jew than to this room. So I'm just gonna say to a Jew, family lineage was everything. And you, uh, your ancestors live in you. And so do your descendants. They really believed it was like those Kachina dolls, those Russian nesting dolls. I say Kachina, that's a Navajo word. Where did I get that from? Uh, the, the Russian um, nesting dolls. The, um, they believed, sorry? Matryoshka, Matryoshka dolls. I've heard that word, thank you. Top, was that Topper? Yes. Topper, you keep moving, there you are, okay. <laughs> this is, if this is like Hollywood squares where someone's spinning the wheel constantly. Um, and I never know who Paul End is, and I want to call on him because he was the funniest. Um, thank you for the um, 1970s reference there, Patrick. Um, Petrushka, is that what you called it? Petrushka dolls? Petrushka. M. Petrushka. Okay. Matrushka. Okay. okay. Thank you. I needed to know that word. Um, they believed that you walking around have all of your ancestors and all of your descendants in you. And so they'd strut around, we are children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do you remember them saying that to Jesus, particularly in the book of John? They bring that up uh, two or three times, pretty harsh in the book of John. He's saying, yeah, not really. Um, you didn't do what they said. Your parents killed them and you praise your parents. So where does that put you? When I was a boy, my father would not allow us to sing the song Faith of Our Fathers because he said a lot of us had fathers that had no faith and what the faith they had wasn't any good. You know something that was a very harsh judgmental thing to say, but I got to give him a point here. In his worldview, he was absolutely correct. And if you do Ancestry.com, it's not always like the commercials, you will very often find somebody up in the, that tree you're not interested in knowing much about, right? I sing faith of my fathers and I love the song, but I mean by that my fathers in the faith, the moms and the dads and the, and the great men and women of history that have bequeathed Christianity to me. Um, everybody from C.S. Lewis to Mother Teresa. I mean, we could go on, right? But I understood his point. These people, this really hits them hard. Because of this, Jesus says, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed from the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Now, how is that fair? It is fair because that's what they taught. They taught that all the goodness of their ancestors was in them, and they were ignoring that all the sins were there. Jesus had to die to clear the slate. And it wasn't clear because of their worship throwing some you know, sacrifices on an altar. That wouldn't fix it. That's why they had to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. So if this passage troubles you, and, and which would be fine. Frankly, it troubles me. I would recommend that in your devotions the next few weeks that you take a side trip to Hebrews 
read the book of Hebrews about the sacrifice system and why Jesus and why and how Jesus ended it, and then come back here, and I think you'll be much more at peace. Does that help you? All right. Um, well, uh, by the way, Abel to Zechariah, the way a Jewish Bible is laid out, that's the first to the last. Uh, the Jewish Bibles, um, their books, what we call the Old Testament, are not in the order that we have them, and they're not in the number that we have them. For example, First and Second Kings is one book. First and Second Chronicles is one book. The Minor Prophets, almost all of those are one book. Uh, and so the way they're arranged, he's saying everything, as we would put it from Genesis to Malachi, everything in there is on you. Now, nobody wants that. They wanted all the benefit, but not this. So, woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. We're coming back to that. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Um, another one, tell the truth through experience, therefore providing hope, not judgment. Oh, ooh. we need to write that down, guys. Put that in our, on our wall somewhere. If you're not in the chat room, have a look at that. Tell the truth through experience, therefore providing hope, not judgment. Um, what is the key to knowledge? I'll get to that. And by the way, there's not one answer. Um, the Bible didn't have the answers in the back, and so theologians have been wrestling with this. But I want, I want to focus on, to define the word, I want to see where it is in the context. You yourselves have not entered, and you've hindered those who were entering. There is no other way to put this than that there are people who I, I would doubt would ever believe in God or have a... Um, a kind view of Christians because of the way I treated them in my earlier decades. The way I preached, the way I fought against them, the way I treated them. And I cannot fix that. Uh, it, it, is, um, it is a shame and a scar I'll carry to my death. Even though I know God has forgiven me, it's still there. Here's how I did it. Well, some of how. I was very inventive, but mainly... It's when they would come up with, with um, um, oh, well, okay, this is kind of apropos, I guess. We had an evening where we were, you know, calling out the names of songs and people would sing them. And we had some visitors that called out Faith of Our Fathers, and we had to explain to them, we don't sing that one here. And another one wanted to sing, I can't remember the song. Oh, it's um, on this terrestrial ball to him, all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. And we said, no, no, that, that's, that's way too premillennial. We don't sing that song here. They never came back. That's the way we treated people. And we did it because we thought God wanted us to do it. We didn't do it to be mean. We didn't do it to be jerks. My, uh, my wife's father bragged to us as he was talking, he thought we would tell him, good job, this was decades ago. I would hope that they would not handle it now this way. But this wonderful couple that had moved into to that village, that town, and they had great kids and they were just an exciting, wonderful part of the church. Had been coming for a few months and um, you know, they decided, well, we want to place membership and the elders sat them down and asked them about their background and found out one of them had been divorced and remarried way back way back divorced because of a really bad marriage 
then he remarried and they'd been together for decades and the elders told them your divorce wasn't for adultery therefore you can't be members here you would have to leave each other and go back to it. that's what we taught and they left and jerry who is a good christian man by the way thought he had done the right thing and wanted to share it with us it was hard that was a hard day we've had a lot of hard days but i must say that jerry and martha have always been kind and sweet and generous even when we scare them half to death all right my point is this i think that's what we're talking about here experts in the law keeping others from coming in and jesus says here's the here's a news flash you're not in either you think you are but you've not come through the door because you haven't had the key well what's the key well we could go about all the arguments um but you're free to do that and you have google accessible if you wish to i believe the key is love empathy love and heart i want you to you know we say this sometimes at fourth avenue and i think it scares some people but i will stand stand there and this is a hill i will die on um when there is a conflict between law and love love wins when it's with jesus with people law law comforts <laughs> a friend of mine was jogging this week jogging nobody's around him he's just jogging nobody's within 30 feet and he had a homeowner yelling curses at him because he wasn't wearing a mask and was going to kill them all he's not he's 30 feet away and he's actually leaving the area let him depart it is so easy for us to grab law and say we are good people because of this we're good people because we go to this church we're good people because we believe these things we don't believe those things that makes us good people no it's it's, it's love and one of the stark examples of this that i never hear talked about was after jesus gets through, he's explained everything to them he's back from the grave and they look at him and they say is it now that we ride to jerusalem they were still waiting to grab the sword and go to battle and instead of jesus looking at them and saying you complete idiots he said you know it's it's not really given to you to know the times and seasons of things and he just let it go there were so many times that well the samaritan woman the woman at the well she looks at me and goes all right which mountain should we worship in there or up here at garazim people that's a hanging curveball that's one of the easiest theological questions you could ever get you could swing that one out of the, this one is easy by the way that was a sports more metaphor you're welcome um and jesus didn't answer it he did not answer why because he wasn't interested in winning a theological argument he was interested in winning this woman and showing her that she who'd been rejected by life was loved there's a statement here this is one of the most obvious moments where jesus spoke truth to power and power didn't like it yeah uh i, I don't quite any human being that's ever lived with jesus so please do not jump to there uh, 
Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, I think is probably something everybody should be required to read several times because there's truth there and power did not like the truth. I, I was not raised to respect Martin Luther King Jr. I don't believe my father was a racist, but my father had political feelings uh, and, and just an absolute um, dedication to order that did not allow any room for any protest, any disagreement. Uh, it was all lockstep. It was as an adult that I read books on Martin Luther King Jr. And yes, I'm not, not going to put him on a pedestal because all of us, you put us on a pedestal, it just hurts us more when we fall. But that letter from a Birmingham jail and other, but that letter is something which really hit me hard because everything in it was accurate. Everything in it was true. And yet, even today, it can make people say, well, you need to know some background. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe love is, maybe love is enough. When you, when you take love and truth to power, what does power do? Verse 53 and 54, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions. So they're, they're going out too. They're hounding him along the way, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Brothers and sisters, Christians do this all the time. There's not a week go by. I don't get email from somebody I don't know that asked me about an issue. And I always try to figure out, all right, the why. Is it because you want to know? Um, you'd be surprised how many times it isn't. And, and especially, in my experience, when younger people want to be atheists or leave the faith. And they'll say, well, what about this, this, that, and the other? And one of my responses to them is, you're not the first person to think of these questions. If I respond to this, it's going to be a book-length email. Fortunate for you, that's already been written. Are you honest enough about your questions to do some searching? Here are some books. You and I can discuss the books, but I'm not going to retype the book on an email. I did that to um, um, back and forth with one gentleman who then sent me about 10 more questions like this. And I'm beginning to go, all right, are you honest? Have you read my email? Have you taken advantage of the resources? Or is, are you trying to find an excuse to exit the building? Other times they want to find something to go after Fourth Avenue or after me personally. It happens. <clears throat> I have never been hounded like Jesus. And so I always try to remember this. I've been preaching for decades. Jesus only preached for three and a half years and they killed him. So I can't really equate my experience with his. That said, we need to be the kind of people who don't try to catch out anybody. This grieves me. I see left and right doing it. They'll say, you know, this person just owned this other person in politics. Ooh, they really burned them with this. And I, you know, because I'm not smart, sometimes I'll go and read the article and I'll go, I didn't see a burn. Or people will put out there, we should be very offended. This person said this. And I'll look at it, and in the context, I'll go, I don't really, I, you know, it may not have been the way to phrase it, but 
as a person who makes their living talking, I know how mouths work. This doesn't bother me at all. You don't need to walk around in perpetual offense. You don't need to walk around perpetually being upset. You know, I, I love to, if you watch the worship today, Chris Barnhill did a good job saying that there are some of our people who think this is way overblown. Some of these people think we're still going to die and we need to have a church that has room for both of them. I get emails from both sides as if they want an official, um, they want me to make an official position on this. No, let's be very careful that we're not part of the group hounding and looking for that that mistake so we can jump on it, regardless of where it is. Church, in the house, in politics, let's be the nice people. Empathy proceeds as a heart or spiritual issue instead of mind or feeling emotionally. Now that's, um, there's some levels there. Let's, well, let's, uh, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to, I'm triaging here. Um, let's, let's do the feeling part. Feelings are great. I love feelings. Um, I'm, I am pro feelings. But when feelings are unjustified and collide with facts, we need to acknowledge this, even if we're not willing to change our feelings yet. Um, if, I'm, if I'm a young man and I'm dating somebody who is really, really bad for me and treats me really bad, chances are I'm not going to spot it as fast as my friends around. And they may come to me and say, Patrick, she's really treating you bad and my feelings will want me to trump this and go well no no you don't understand her you don't love her there does come a day of reckoning when feelings in fact have to get along if not you end up being damaged one way or the other um, and your feelings don't make facts occur um, i feel 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 this so strongly i need to bring this up to all of those people who believe that this is a sign of the end of the age, the end of the world, because they feel it so strong. People have been feeling it strong for 2,000 years. They've all been wrong. We're not that special. I know we feel, 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 but that doesn't create a fact. Empathy, empathy, let's talk about how to, can, can we do that? I don't mean for this to be turned into therapeutic day, but, um, Let's say that somebody comes into my uh, office and I'm doing this off the top of my head. So if this ends up not making sense, let me know, please. Let's say it is a um, middle-aged woman who has been divorced in a very painful, sudden way by a husband who's trying to make sure she's left with nothing and has to suffer, all right? She sits across from me. What do I have in common with this woman? Well, let's look at facts. When it comes to facts, I don't have any commonality, not on the surface at least. When it comes to feelings, however, I've had people say, you can't help me, you've not gone through this. What feelings are you having? Rage, impotence, helplessness, fear. I've had all those. And I can bring all of those around to help me empathize with you. The facts of what you went through, I haven't gone through. But the feelings are common to all of us. Ecclesiastes people, nothing new under the sun. They're feeling to all of us. 
So if I miss something, and if you think I'm missing something in talking to you, tell me the feelings that I've not picked up on. And, and let me then go harvest them in my life and bring them around. I've, you know, I'm, the first time this really hit me was I was observing a counseling um, session between a woman and a man. The man uh, was the, the counseling guru. You know, he was the one that I was studying and watching. Uh, he was doing family dynamics and such, you know, the Jay Halley things, if you know those at all. And the woman challenged him saying, no, you cannot uh, help me because I was raped and you've never been raped. And he was the one that unfolded this in that next hour to that woman saying, if you want to speak to a woman next time, we will make sure. But when you get that woman, she most likely will not have been through a rape. If she has been through a rape, it was not at the age, time, place, and situation you were. If you're looking for someone who has exactly that experience to come help you, we're going to probably come up empty. But what we can do, and he began that talking about, let's find what feelings you've had. And let's see if I can understand those feelings and empathize because I had them too in a different set. And he went from there. I thought it was a brilliant hour. And I spent the next several weeks unpacking that with different people. Um, so we can empathize. At the same time, we always have to be aware of the facts on the ground. We go to extremes, Poof, that zero to 100 thing. The Pharisees and teachers of the law went to the extreme rather than see the opportunity in front of them to consider what Jesus was saying. Now that line really needs to be underlined. Um, rather than be open to the truth, they eventually decided to kill him. I think all of us know that last sentence and we all are gog. But what brings them to there was they didn't take the opportunity to consider that this could be uh, a phrase in our society uh, of the last several years, a teachable moment. You know, what can we learn from this? Um, you know, I, I learned some things from God adjusting me from wanting a club to a mirror in the story of my mom. I, I, there are times you have, to, um, you have to be able to hear the other person. I've said this before. Um, oh my goodness, the hour going away. We've done study after study after study. We know this. If you want to know how it all works, we can do the, do the math one day. If you're at a party and everybody's telling funny stories and you're laughing yourself silly and you're thinking, I got to remember these. And the next day, do you remember them? Nope. The reason why is that unless you consciously fight against it, your brain will be seeing the story, realizing where it falls in a hierarchy of good stories and be working on a response to the story. Therefore, not remembering the story, you're putting your efforts into responding. So that you have a story that you fit in a rank somewhere. I've, I see that every day in political discussions. I see this every day in personal discussions where your response, you know, and ter terrible, terrible old joke. Um, I say terrible because it is so old and everybody's always heard it, but just to remind you, 
it's rather like the man who who's, he's a traveler through and he stops at a pub, walks in, and the people are all sitting around and somebody goes, 22, and everybody just laughs themselves silly. And he's looking about and after a while somebody goes, 13, and everybody's laughing, laughing. After a while he goes to the bartender and he goes, um, what is this? And he goes, oh, the folk here, we're all from the same area. We've been here all of our lives. You know all of our stories. So instead of telling them anymore, we just, we assign them numbers. And so somebody just yells out the number and we all laugh at the, at the story because we memorized them. So we have, so the traveler figured, well, I'll give it a go. And he turned around and he said, 14, dead silence. He turned to the bartender and he goes, what, what was that? And he goes, um, well, some people can tell a story and some can't. We have our stories so down that when somebody comes, uh, you know, our, our, our friend, our family, husband, wife, politic, whatever, and they say this word, we're all the way at the end of the sentence without using the opportunity to hear what's being said. All right, guys. Um, they're trying to trump him and regain their honor. We still do this today. Now, there's something, Kathy and Marcus, by the way, it's a thrill to see you. Uh, absolute thrill to see you. They are some of our long commuters to get to our building when our worship's open. And delightful couple, so they are. Um, I would like to start there next week. Could we do that? Could you guys remember that? Just write that down. Because I would really like to see where you're from. Open up your mic and talk to you about this. And then take it from there. Rather than assuming I know what you mean. I might want to take the opportunity to consider what you said and, and go from there. Everybody else, do you have any, any other questions or comments you'd like to make? All right. I have found that when teaching a class, if I say, well, it's time for a break, unless somebody has a question, I get far fewer questions. Um, oh, well, thank you. It, is, it, is, it, is, it makes my heart leap to see your faces, especially in this safe environment where you can't hug me. We're going to blow you a kiss. <laughs> well, not you, Topper, uh, but, but your wife could do that. And, 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 and but, you know, I'd be a little freaked out, frankly. I wasn't the one that said that, Patrick. <laughs> uh, well, Fourth Avenue is a joy to my soul and just seeing you means a lot to me. I pray for you every single day, uh, every single prayer we pray. So God be with you. Look forward to, to seeing you next week. Uh, we're still going to be here next week. Um, the, the shepherds are being very wise, being very prayerful, that moving at the speed of love thing. And instead of saying, this is our date, they're saying, here are our numbers. Here are a set of circumstances we want to see. And um, the, survey. Uh, the survey had a lot to do with that, yes. Uh, the survey, though, is more of our feelings, whereas they're also crunching the facts. And they have to move, make sure these things move at the same speed. Because we don't want to ignore feelings, and we don't want to get away from the facts. So pray for them. That's a journey of wisdom, and it's not an easy one. All right. Cheerio, bye then. Thank you.